so welcome listeners, you're listening to TWT FM. We're live in Brighton at The World Transformed. Uh, and me, fr- me and Freddie are joined on our brown sofa. Very uh, brown. <laughs> by uh, <laughs> Ajay Singh Chowdhury yep. and uh, Sarah Jaffe. Hello. Uh, they're doing? both uh, relaxing into the sofa. It's, it's an extremely sofa. comfortable sofa. We they like soon the may sofa. disappear by the look <laughs> of it. Yeah, I was going to say, Sarah's about to be like eaten up I'm by I'm sleeping the, on like, this sofa. You can't get rid of me. I live here <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, It's much more comfortable than the bed I slept in last there, night. There. So, um, you know, it's it's... These are the only <laughs> soft furnishings at the entire festival. That might be true. So, I, I think so. <laughs> Don't you think all recording studios should have sofas like this? It would be I think everywhere should have sofas like this. <laughs> we have full communism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is going to be my first demand. It's true, Big actually. squishy sofas for the masses. You hear that, Corbin? Yeah, sofas yeah. for the masses. Sofas yeah. for all. Put that in the policy lab, I guess. Yeah, like, all, all exactly. schools, they exactly. shouldn't have benches. They I'm going to go see if I can sneak in a motion at the <laughs> conference. You know, abolish Eaton and uh, give me a big squishy brown couch. <laughs> how many couches can I get for that? Ah, yeah. hey. How many couches could we get with the money that we could... <laughs> Yeah. somehow extract from abolishing private schools. <laughs> anyway. I mean, that that was the, like, small utopianism of, like, the dot-com thing. Like, that mm-hmm. was, you know, the big radical thing about these new workspaces because they had, There's like, squishy couch instead of, right. like, desks mm-hmm. or whatever. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. have we just reinvented? Squishy couch, like, but you never go home. Well, the sc- <laughs> exactly. The scam of all of it is yeah. when you make... This is actually very relevant to my work. When you make the workplace more like yeah, of home, course, of course. then... Nobody ever goes home. Great, Sarah. Yes, you, you've hi. You've done our job for Such us. A day. <laughs> what this a transition. Tell, tell um, us about your work. Hi, I'm a journalist. Um, I am writing a book about the idea of the labor of love and how we got here at this point where most of us are expected to somehow find our work fulfilling mm-hmm. and meaningful and do it all the damn time. Yeah, yeah. I've as we are all here at this conference. <laughs> so we all understand. Say, as someone. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so that is what I do, and that is somewhat related to the panels that I was on at TWT. And tell us about the panels. What have you been up to? What have you done so far? What are you looking forward to? Oh, my goodness. Um, So I was on two panels yesterday, which meant that I didn't do much else other than, well, yeah. yeah. But one of them was on um, striking because we care, the fight for child care. Okay. Which is great because paid and unpaid childcare is very, very important work that is very, very yes. underpaid and definitely expected to be done for love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was on a later session about um, labor and technology and the future of work, and that was really fascinating. We had um, a couple. Uh, we had a games worker, unionist, and yep. a postal worker talking about the different ways that technology affects them and their jobs. And then we asked the audience to talk to each other about the technologies that they use and are used by at work. Amazing. So that childcare, and there, there was the word strike in there yes. as well. Oh, so yes. w- what's the, is that a proposal? Um, so it was put together by the folks behind the women's strike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we talked about um, the possibility and difficulty of care workers going on strike, right? Yep. Because like when you're responsible for children or sick people or anybody else that needs care, you can't just sort of let the kid wander out into the street because you're on strike. Yep. What do you do in order to still be able to make demands, withdraw your labor, um, have power as a worker? And, you know, it goes back to the old wages for housework argument that no strike had ever been a general strike, as Maria Rosa de la Costa wrote, right? Yep. That because women were still doing the work in the home. Yep. So, yeah, it was it was a great panel. 
Oh, nice. So, uh, um, what was the way around that? Like, I mean, the, the way, way around it um, is well, men need to do some work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Is you actually have to figure this out. So when um, like teachers go on strike, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was in Los Angeles covering the Los Angeles teachers' strike last year, and when the teachers went on strike, they and the communities organized childcare, right? Mm -hmm. So um, one of the schools that I was covering. Um, was named for one of our favorite unionists, Harry Bridges. Um, he's a wonderful historical figure. Um, and there was a school named after him in LA, which makes me really happy. And he was a longshore workers union president for a really long time. He's a communist. They kept trying to deport him from America and they couldn't because they could never prove he was actually a, a communist. Yep. It's great. And um, <laughs> so. I was surprised that like that was an issue, like the oh, yeah, procedure, no, no, no. you know, <laughs> yeah. we he were like. Oh, you had, to, you had to prove it? Yeah, yeah. no, they actually it, could yeah. not prove it and they kept, yeah, was great it's a, he's anyway what's the, criteria? the, what's things the criteria I want to do in the future someday is write a new biography of Harry Bridges who's fascinating mm. anyway <laughs> point being the Longshore Workers Union actually adopted the school and helped among other things provide childcare. okay and that kind of thing yep yeah is like what needs to be done right so that these workers can strike other workers step up yeah yep okay that's really interesting yeah um, and and what sort of so the women's strike people yes. were involved in that yes. as well and yeah uh, and what's their sort of organizing method? So we had um, folks from the women's strike who had organized a strike from mums going on strike. Um, we have people who are organizing around childcare in their mm -hmm. community. So we had a couple of mums, including one who had her daughter with her on the panel, brilliantly <laughs> illustrating <laughs> the need for childcare. She was very cute. Um, who is organizing a collective nursery in her council estate. Mm -hmm. So um, we had sort of all of these different experiences with the need for childcare, the process of creating childcare, um, and then thinking about, you know, again, what are the ways that you have power to sort of make yeah, this yeah. demand known? Like, apparently, some of the folks who are trying to stop the closing of a childcare center, I think in Tower Hamlets in London, um, brought their kids to the council meeting and mm -hmm. turned them loose, which yeah. I think is a brilliant wow, protest. that's great. Right? That's like when farmers just like, bring oh, their like, child care is not that sheep. hard. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Have our kids for an hour. <laughs> right? So good. Yes, I love it, right? Isn't that wonderful? Wow. It's so great. So this is, um, this is political education and practice basically exactly exactly yeah, yeah. yeah it was wonderful it was really good I was which really Ajay <laughs> <laughs> nice transition you buddy that was good I like that can you tell I've got a whole day's experience <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> very good um, so Ajay tell us a, a little bit about, about your work sure thing um, I'm the executive director of an organization called the Brooklyn Institute for Social Research, and we do education. Uh, we do critical education uh, for working adults. Uh, we do political education, although not everything would fill, fall under that precise category. It's complicated and sure. weird. Um, but our sort of general programs are all, people should go to the website, um, www.thebrokeninstitute.com, uh, and you'll see the kind of curriculum we do. Um, and we work with about Actually, yeah, like a couple, like a couple thousand people a year now mm -hmm. in six states, primarily in New York City, um, and people will study anything from political economy to literature to all kinds of yeah. stuff. So it's uh, it's it, it's it's both about sort of building out uh, sort of yeah, like I said, sort of a critical educational base for. Um, everyday people but also sort of carving out spaces for a generally sort of more rich and more uh fruit like mm. full of beauty life that people can have here and now totally so how do you how do you fund those uh those schools oh, 
That's a great question. Yeah. Um, we charge. Yeah. Uh, so the quite simply, we, uh, we we have a fee for the classes. Um, not everywhere. So in like the we, for example, run classes in um, Detroit, Michigan, uh, Newport, Kentucky, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Places like we just did one in Puerto Rico this summer. Those ones uh, essentially, those are nominal fee, but I mean it's very nominal. It's like fifteen dollars. Um, and if anyone writes in, they're like, I can't make that. That's fine. Yeah. In New York, we charge uh, a decent fee. It's like $300 for the month. Uh, again, if you can't afford it, you just write in and people are like, then we make that work. Yep. Um, but why do we do that? Because there's no funding structure for anything yeah, in the United right. States. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unless you want to sort of go down a different path, and that's a diff that's maybe a different conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we are able to find, especially in a place like New York, enough people who can pay the mm. fees mm. to actually make the org uh, functional. So I was going to ask, yeah, how, how have you found the demand? Have you found lots of people? Oh, demand is extremely from, high. From, right. from, from, from working class backgrounds or middle class backgrounds or a mixture men women oh yeah, yeah i can oh you want a demographic yeah part. i'm I interested we're gonna talk about this i'm totally happy i'm thrilled actually to talk about this um so yeah brooklyn institute students are actually there's a couple things that, that is interesting to talk about um there's like a really dumb American way of talking about class, um, which is by measuring like income levels. Yeah. And so we used to get this data uh, hilariously because Facebook used to just churn out data yeah. that like from everything. Yeah. So we actually could see like a lot of shit about our students. Like you could see like, this is t terrible. Maybe you should wow. think. You yeah. can see like what, like credit cards, like wow. not like yeah. by individual, yeah. but like yeah. I was thinking about your panel last night, cause talk about the, the level of data yeah. that mm. people have on you now. It's pretty hardcore anyway so from that data when we used to get these portraits we actually know a lot about the, the population of people who take our classes so we know there's basically three income bands there's a, a low-income band people live in households um, making uh, 50k or less a sort of middle income band sort of 50 to 75 and then a high income band of what we call high income band of about 75 to 125 and then yeah. it starts dropping off um, uh, in terms of age is predominantly uh, yeah, like I said, working adults and what does that mean to uh, mm -hmm. like most of our students, unlike a lot of ed and um, sort of like enrichment, people can't say this, this is radio. So I just did <laughs> yeah. like enrichment programs are often like for very young or very old people. Um, most of our students are uh, between the ages of about 25, 45. Uh, the median Brooklyn Institute student is like a woman in her late 20s. Okay. Um, so slightly more women than men, very, very uh, uh, diverse uh, education. Um, ethnic, religious, uh, uh, sexual identity uh, sort of backgrounds and also really, really crazy uh, diversity of educational backgrounds. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So tell us how you're bringing that to TWT. What are you up to? Yeah, here? so I'm doing, uh, so uh, I wish I was in your boat, Sarah. Cause what, having I, paneled already? Yeah, having done <laughs> it. No, yeah, I, no. I'm, I'm uh, running a workshop with someone I think you already uh, talked about, uh, talked with earlier in your program, uh, uh, Eleanor Penny. Yeah. Yep. Uh, when we're running a workshop together on Tuesday afternoon um, called, I believe the title in the program is Conspiracy Theories and the mm. Socialism of Fools. Yeah. Um, and what is, what is that? That's a weird title actually um but like what is that really about it is uh, about um sort of 
using uh, historical and empirical and theoretical ideas that the left has developed over the years um, to talk about the ways in which we can sort of discern and distinguish between uh, sort of structural critique um, uh, of you know how the world works um, again sort of things like sociological understandings like basic sort of like frankly Marxism all, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, understanding how, like how uh, structures impact the world how they impact people's lives and the sort of just so stories that this can collapse into mm. um, that the far right in particular really really loves um, and like we are in one of those moments right where things are sort of cracking up and there is a lot of confusion and dissatisfaction and uh, rightly so and uh, you know dissatisfaction is a light way of putting it yeah. uh, people are fucking pissed off uh, and and they have every good reason to be and sometimes the right can be extremely strategic and extremely um, uh, and can sometimes have an, a somewhat easier path um, by using a sort of collapsed version of structural okay. critique. And it's also easy for the left and, you know, we show in our own problems to uh, sort of latch onto that and be like, yeah, that's like an easy way of telling that story. Like, oh, it, it's a greedy politicians or it's this yeah. group or it's yeah. that group, um, as opposed to actually doing our thing, actually getting into the weeds and being like, look, no, if I was appointed the head of JP Morgan tomorrow, if I was, what's his name, Jamie Dimon, right? I actually ha wouldn't have that many choices that are different than mm. Jamie Dimon's. Mm. Yeah. I could be like, I'm going to dissolve the bank and they'll fire me, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so like, well, like when we start pushing back those like sort of little stories and they get much mm. bigger, right? This is where you get your sort of great green menace, Islamophobia, your xenophobia, um, general racism, anti-Semitism, all these stories. And they all reduce to these, these understandings of capital. Um, but mm. like, if less we can distinguish um, those kinds of stories from the sort of real story that we're trying to tell about capital, about other forms mm. of structural domination, we're never going to actually be able to not to, to connect with the folks we want to connect with yeah. uh, or overcome that sort of right totally, message. Totally, yeah. Because I've definitely heard that, that like, the, as you say, the, the discontent, the uh, dissatisfaction with how things are, the anger you yeah. know that's that's not wrong that's universal yeah. and yeah. what the right has to do is to come up with a story that um s subverts that into a uh, a critique that doesn't go anywhere that a critique that's not really a critique well, or onto easier targets right yes. yeah. so like it's much easier for donald trump to blame the jews than to yeah. admit that capitalism is a set of yeah, you know, so and it's sticky. I mean, it's fun. a preview of coming attractions for anyone who listens to this before. I don't know when these are going out, but like before Hopefully the pandemic, we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna the first exercise we're gonna do in that workshop is to watch uh, Trump's last uh, campaign commercial, um, which is actually a really good from the point of view of like pure sort of propaganda. It's yeah. a good commercial, um, and I've actually used it in workshops before with organizers in the U.S. and in the U.K. Um, and at least one person in every session will say something like, I hope no, I won't give it away but like someone will say something like he stole our message and I'm mm. like kind of but no <laughs> like 
um, we need to know why our message is different than this. It's like, and in that sort of video, right, there's all these little clues and bits, right? In the US, we often use the phrase dog whistle. I don't know if that's used yeah, here. Yeah. Um, the anti-Semitic dog whistle is all over the place in that. But also it's just the virulent uh, xenophobia, nationalism, um, where it's like, yeah, the rich are fucking you, and it's probably the Chinese and the Mexicans you should worry about. It's like, yeah. why? Wait, what? Yeah. what the fuck is that? Um, but the thing is, a lot of this stuff's very sticky, right? National Nationalism has been a really powerful force mm -hmm. in Western societies for a, you know, a long time. That's where the left this crashed This is something you've written about one. as well, yeah. isn't it, yeah. Sarah? Yeah. So yeah. Americans in Revolt? Was that yes. Your? Yeah. Yeah. yes, Necessary Trouble is the book trouble. title. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, but and, and, right, that yeah. like nationalism in particular, right? I mean, we're in Brexitlandia right now, right? Um, it's <laughs> really <are>. easy <laughs> to, if it ever happens, you know, I'm still betting no, but really? Oh, oh, yeah. oh we're going to get into Brexit now. <laughs> that was, that was yeah. a quick, that was um, a quick job. I, you know, well, the, the latest thing was like Boris Johnson's like, oh, you know, like 10 years down the line, we'll, we'll Brexit eventually. Um, anyway, no, but so the, the question, though, that like the struggle of this is like I write a lot about organized labor. Mm -hmm. I talk a lot to workers who are. You know, in some cases, I've been really hooked on going to do these plant closing stories because a lot of the people who do them are bad at them, so I do them better. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that, that you find in these places is like, you know, there I went to um, Indiana to the carrier plant, which Trump made a big deal out of when he was running for president, right? It was closing down. They were moving it to Mexico. Um, all these unionized workers in Indiana were going to lose their jobs, and all of these, you know, people in Mexico were theoretically going to get their jobs, mm -hmm. right? Also, big scare quotes around their jobs. Sure. But so this narrative is really easy for the labor movement to say, therefore, American jobs for American workers. And at a different time, yeah. I was in Indiana talking to a different set of workers um, and organizers, and they, this group called the Workers Project in Fort Wayne, Indiana, had been trying to counter this because yep. it's such a problematic narrative, right? And it creates divisions with you know immigrant workers in their town, as well as not having the international solidarity that you need to have with the workers in Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so Tom Lewandowski is the organizer behind the Workers Project. And he was like, you know, we had this group of people who wanted to fight. This, it was a union construction site. And then the company was bringing in this non-union labor that was mostly undocumented immigrants. And, the, the you know, the, the unions wanted to say, you know, local jobs for local people. And we said, no, our slogan is if they're getting fucked, we're getting fucked. Right. Yeah, and yeah. A, it's a great slogan. Yeah. B, it's true. Yeah. C, it's solidarity. Yeah. Right. And so that's actually like it is possible to find these messages and to do them and for people in the trade union movement to do them. But it's really, really easy mm -hmm. to fall yeah. into the like, don't ship yeah. our jobs yeah, yeah. to Mexico narrative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was gonna, like it. it it, there's so much pre-existing sort of like cultural debt to try to uh, sort of like just stuff stuff floating around that the that the right can reach for, uh, and the and the, the way in which the left can often be sort of like very on the defense on this, mm -hmm. and and uh, one of the things that I think is really so fascinating, and I get why that is. It's like no no oh no that's not what our thing is about. It's about this. Um, what I think is so fascinating and what I love about the, the, the sort of frame you were just using um, is right, yeah, like I, I put here, I just wrote down like while you were talking like buy American, right? That like, exactly. like the, this used exactly. to be like a classic labor slogan, yeah, mm. truthfully. Um, but in this moment, you know, they're like, 
the where the way economic history has shook out and the way and we were talking before about climate change stuff but the way ecological mm. history has shook out like it's very palpable in a way that maybe wasn't true in like 1955 it is palpable in 2019 that in fact the the way in which workers are being fucked in like the Democratic Republic of Congo and the Philippines and all these places are in fact the same forces that are fucking workers and frankly broader communities and all kinds of people eat right here in the global north right here in the imperial center and it really is a moment in which we can say no in fact I want to talk about the limitations of um, these sort of bullshit nationalist models, these bullshit um, Islamophobic models, these bullshit anti-Semitic models, because we can go so much further. And my answer is 10 times better because it is true. Because communism, (laughs) big brown leather couches for all. But so So, in the Brexit story, right, it's, it's like you get the story of like the mythical white working class voter in Leeds, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Since we were just talking to here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. this, is the, this is the guy that you can't say, you know, whatever to, you can't say, no, we should keep freedom of movement because actually yeah. it's good yeah. to that guy because he is gonna go vote for UKIP if you say that to him. Yeah. And we're all supposed to be like very scared of this particular mythic work, working class voter who is just so ready to go jump in bed with Nigel Farage that like, or however you pronounce his damn last name, <laughs> um, that you can't say like, you know, immigrants are people, um, that we should perhaps not let refugees drown in the Mediterranean, um, that free movement is good. And you, you get like this fear of defending these things mm. that are yeah. so if you so if you look at how yeah. easy it's been for people like Nigel Farage and people like Donald Trump yeah. to utilize that populist rhetoric yeah. the easy scapegoating solution yeah. how optimistic are you then with your work that you do in the US that a, a positive radical alternative can be articulated <laughs> we're making interesting faces here yeah. um, but I mean also in the last however long we've been sitting here we've unpacked a whole bunch of this stuff yeah, yeah. just in a few minutes of conversation yeah because it's not actually that hard yeah, yeah. I, I actually think the story um, you know like part of the fun thing about teaching that like the sort of Trump stuff because uh, yeah. it, it wasn't rocket science um, like is that there's a basic message in that Trump video yeah. and it's like there are people who fuck you and I'm going to fuck them. It actually is a very right wing yeah, yeah. message. Um, uh, but it at least is a right wing message. You know, there's like old line from, from Walter Benjamin, like fascism at least allows you to express. Yep. Yeah. Um, it doesn't allow you to yeah. redress class grievance, yeah. but at least allows you to express it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And like, there's a way in which that was real, and you should never forget that the Trump base is mostly rich white people in the suburbs. Yep. Um, and also like, the Brexit base. Um, yeah. Um, we, this goes way back. I'm uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um, suburbs burn the suburbs. But, but actually, <laughs> like the, as Sarah was saying, like the story that that the, it's not just a story, right? But as I always like to say, you, you don't just feel that way; it is that way. Right. Um, uh, this the story where like it's not like the trans bathroom that stands between you and freedom is actually an easier story to tell. Yeah. But I'm like, hey, it's the same company that is like yeah. keeping your your like you know your uh, utility bill high or that is profiting off of you know your health crisis that you know is also you know making x and y uh decisions in shenzhen china or in north africa like you know like that's an easy story to tell because it is true and i think it's actually increasingly relatable yeah well i was going to ask this i mean to what extent is this an intellectual challenge 
and to what extent is it an organizational challenge because yeah. i think about the sort of classic phrase about uh, you know the marxist phrase about um political education of you know a class in itself to mm-hmm. a class, class for itself, itself. Yeah. and yeah. it's like you know yeah. it's it's kind of a, a feedback loop isn't it yes. where it's you a dialectic. Know, you have to. <laughs> we can't get me and a J in a room together without using that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I try to police myself because everyone, if I say it, they're like, oh, that intellectual It's yeah, not yeah, the first time. That intellectual guy who's quoting Marx. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. No, it's, it's the thing we were just talking about yeah. in the cafe when you came and found us was that, like, so many people think working class people are stupid. Yeah. Union yep. leaders think working class people yeah. are stupid. Yeah. Journalists, as Joanna and I were just talking about, red hacks think people are stupid. Yeah, Political leaders think people are stupid. And everybody is like afraid to just treat people like they're smart mm. and can understand the same yeah. things that you and I can understand. Mm-hmm. To like, you know, I was talking to, again, in, in um, Indiana, talking to this guy who had voted for Trump, mm-hmm. who worked at the carrier plant that was losing his job. And he was just like, look, he's like, you know, I'm not. I have nothing against the guys in Mexico. He's like, if we hadn't stopped the TPP or the TTIP over here, right, with, um, then they'd be closing the factory in Mexico and shipping his, their jobs to Vietnam. Like, he understands the structures of capitalism very well. Yes. But, like, nobody came to this guy and made an argument, and he voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary, mm-hmm. and nobody made a good enough argument for him why Trump and Sanders were different. Right. And I yeah. fault the Sanders campaign yeah. for being afraid to go hard on this, too. Because, like... You actually have to make it really, really, really clear that there is nothing mm-hmm. Trump will do for you. There is nothing Boris Johnson will do for you. There is nothing Nigel Farage and the Brexit party are going to do for you. These people's class interests are somewhere totally different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot like make that argument and make it coherently the way we just did in a few minutes, then I don't know, man. You probably should get out of politics. I mean, yep. the thing I have to say about this is that, like, you can, like, Google and probably find, like, eight speeches of, like, this is my the thing I come and talk about almost everywhere I come and talk about a thing. It's not what I'm talking about here, actually. Um, but it is what I talk about when I talk about the work we do at Brooklyn Institute for Social Research, which is, like, like there I could stack books from, like, the floor to the ceiling yeah. uh, that come out every day and that are in every newspaper whose central argument is that, yeah, people are dumb. Uh, And I go into rooms and people say, how do I get people to understand this thing? And like, I don't know what people imagine people are. I was like, that's us. Who Um, Who is the working class? Me. One of the things that that we do in our work is like, we don't, we're we're like, look, we do, there are limitations on people's time. There's limitations on people's comfort. Mm -hmm. There's limitations on people's access in terms of like money and transport and all kinds of things but that we pretend and we pretend to our own detriment that people cannot understand things Um, that somehow like I have a magic way that gives me access to read books that is not available to like every other person I think I find this to be like just so insulting Uh, and and it's really funny because it will often be wrapped up in a kind of like anti-elite like language it's so but it's, it's so elitist. we've got to do this so the working like, class people can do it, is, it okay. is so then go give it to people uh, right. and you know I have a really similar I was um, doing a conversation another sort of climate related one with um, Eliza Griswold who had done a book about fracking in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one of the central uh, 
I want to say characters, but it's a nonfiction book. So one, the characters. One, yeah, yeah. Characters. one of the central figures in that book, characters, whatever you want to put, yeah. is this wonderful woman who ended up doing a lot of anti-fracking work. Um, ended up voting for Jill Stein in the uh, in, in the election, and a lot of people would be like, "Ah oh, ha ha!" Like this is so stupid. But what's so brilliant in that text? And look, I, strategically, yeah, I would not have done that in Pennsylvania. Um, but personally, but this is basically she was a one-issue voter. Yeah. Fracking was her issue. This is a very, very, very poor uh, working class lady from a very difficult family background uh, who had done all the work. She had read all the, mm-hmm. and the natural scientific papers, the social scientific research, and she looked at Trump and she looked at Clinton and said, I know neither of these people give a fuck about stopping fracking in my community. Yep. Mm-hmm. They will do nothing. Yeah. And so basically she's like, fuck it, I'm going to she yeah. had no political choice yeah. and no one had come and said and in fact it would have been impossible god I shouldn't even say this out loud it would have been impossible for the Clinton campaign to come and say it because basically no one had done more to help spread fracking yeah. than the Clint- than yeah. uh, the Obama administration mm-hmm. especially during the Clinton mm-hmm. um, uh, Secretary of State posi- yep. period mm-hmm. yeah. I mean the other thing about uh, pretending that the working class is like stupid and illiterate and just far away yeah. right it's always yeah, other it's, it's exactly. always yeah. Yeah. It, it it just allows uh, certain people to uh, escape any responsibility as well yeah. i remember a little while ago um the times newspaper was being criticized for um their islamophobic coverage yeah and it was sort of counterposed with or juxtaposed with the rise of the EDL and things like this as mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. sort of how this narrative was taking over and David Aronovich this uh, guy who writes for the Times uh, said well I hardly think the EDL is getting their information from the Sunday Times kind of thing because it's like <laughs> and it's just like uh, there's exactly, a line it's like as if they're so they're so intellectual that like they couldn't possibly you know I want to quote bizarre, my wife like, uh, right yeah. now because uh, this always. is her this is her line uh, um uh, but she she loves to say at events, uh, there's there's no one more racist than the ruling class. Oh, yeah. Um, the idea oh, yeah. that it's like people and, the, you know, I, I gave that sort of statistical pic, uh, picture of the sort of median Trump voter as the you know suburban rich white guy, which is true. Yep. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't pe- like that, that like far right movement, that that like push to really sort of virulent nationalism, mm. nativism yep. stuff uh, isn't like found in Manhattan it isn't found mm-hmm. amongst like like extraordinary mm-hmm. wealth and the idea that it's somehow like this like uh, what's it called like a recidivist um, yeah. my words are failing because I haven't had enough sleep this weekend um, <laughs> shocking uh, but like some kind of recidivist thing that's only found amongst like the unwashed masses yeah. uh, no, you no. know we suffer from mob rule the mob rule of the ruling class well, like <laughs> like we don't suffer from a surfeit totally. of democracy we don't suffer from like too few uh, like people having access to power in our s- system yeah. it's insane it's bizarre it's totally topsy-turvy it's like that's the only way they can define oh, sorry, we do in, suffer from in, TV intellectualism yeah. is like by its uh, inaccessibility and right. its uh, elitism it's yeah. like it's nothing to do with it being you know more complex or more no. rigorous no, yeah. it's no. And it, not, yeah. part of the and part of like being on the left and part of doing this work and like I said like we consider our edu- educational work sometimes it's explicitly left and uh, but sometimes it's just straight up like here, let's learn some shit and let's yeah. roll the dice and see what happens. Uh, a part of doing any kind of left like project and any kind of left work is you have to trust people yeah. to some extent yeah. that like 
like I'm gonna give you the straight story. Like that is our game. That is our angle. Like our angle mm -hmm. on the like yeah. you, you were asking like. It, how can we win against the sort of easy turn to nationals or the easy yeah. turn to discrimination and, and bigotry? And the answer is you turn to trusting people that they can handle yeah. the real scoop. They can yeah. handle the, the yeah. truth. I and mean, look at the kids on the climate strike, right? Like they're like teen, like they're like little kids on the climate yeah. strike, right? Yeah. Like they get, they get it. it. Yeah. They get it. And like, oh, the kids are so great. The kids just make me happy. But like, <laughs> there the, you the go. thing That's about it is like, you can't organize people you have contempt for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You cannot do it yeah. because you will talk to them like they are. And like, I'm a journalist, right? I'm not an organizer, but a lot of the skills are the same mm. because it's all about listening. Yeah. And like, so you actually have to sit down, put away whatever preconceptions you have in the back of your head about this person you were talking to and listen to them for a while. Mm. And if you don't do that, you can't organize shit. You yeah. won't learn anything yeah. and you always have to learn. And like one of the things about political education is it always goes two ways, right? You always learn from the people you're talking to. Yeah. The thing about journalism is my job is to go out and talk to people yeah. and learn things from them and then mash that up with what I know mm -hmm. and come up with a story that has context, right? So like you can't, do any of that if you walk in and like we get so many of these stories around election time and you mm -hmm. get them around brexit time too right everybody's like they like go on safari to look at yeah, some yeah. wild yeah. voters it's, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. You go you on safari yeah it's it's yeah. oh god well that's like, what the world transforms all about right trying to break down those barriers yeah, between right. who is actually part of this conference everybody is part of this conference right yeah there's so many different people there are labor party members sitting on panels next to you know uber drivers yeah and it's great yeah it's funny you did the parallel for journalism to organizing because uh, I was thinking of the exact same one from education. Yeah. I was like, um, I forgot who said it. I want. I put down in my note that it's uh, Sarah Ahmed, but many people have made this point. Like it's basically impossible. Like the uh, educational systems are also often set up really poorly, right. um, yeah. such that there's an adversarial relationship between the faculties and the students. Yeah. And like you cannot do like real learning, which is a learning together process. Yeah. You can't do it if you hate your students yeah. or if you are adversarial or think you're like lording it over your students. Like yeah. that is not gonna yeah. work. And I think that it translates over to organizing mm -hmm. quite seriously. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we're going to have to draw this fascinating discussion to a close. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us on the TWTFM sofa. I'd like to also apologize. Wait, do we have to get up now? <laughs> you yeah, might have a to. sweet fucking sofa. I know. We might have to apologize as well to listeners that might have heard any of the background noise. Um, in the, we, are, we have this studio, this makeshift studio that Tim and I have managed to whip up in the comms hub of TWT and there are lots of people buzzing away in the background trying to make sure the festival all goes off smoothly. So we apologize for any of that background noise if you've heard of any of that. that but thank you, thank you both <laughs> for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Thanks. Awesome, thank you so much guys, that was wicked. Oh,